Amen. Lord, that is our prayer, that our lives would be a love song to your heart, that, Lord, we would live lives sold out and set apart unto you. And, Father, I pray right now as we go to your word that you would be our teacher, that, Father God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would just illuminate your truth, you would minister to every single heart that's here. Lord, we gather for one reason, that's to glorify you, to lift you up, to know you and to make you known to a lost and dying world. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. It's really good to have you here. Hey, if it's your first time here, welcome to Calvary Santa Cruz. We want you to know that we don't have membership at Calvary Chapel. You show up. You're a part of the family. We're just really glad that you're here. Um, If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, that means you need one because it is a Bible study. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. We'll be happy to loan you one. And if you... uh, don't have one at home, please feel free to take it home as a gift from us. Um, We want you to be able to read God's Word at home as well as your time here at church. If you have your Bibles, again, turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I thought Pastor Chris was losing his mind during the announcements. I thought, man, for a guy with a PhD from Harvard, you'd think he'd know that... He'd be able to get the announcements right, and I figured out the fourth time he announced it, he was doing it on purpose, so I guess there's a young adult retreat this weekend, if anybody's interested in going. All right. Well, the book of Acts, and I hope you've been loving it as much as I have. The book of Acts, as, as as we've been talking about, and again, maybe if you're new here, just to catch you up, the book of Acts is the story of the first century church. The Acts of the Apostles is what it's called, but it also could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the first century church. And as we come to the book of Acts, Jesus has departed back into heaven. He's left His Holy Spirit upon His His people. And now they are the representation of Him to a lost and a dying world. They walk unified in the Spirit of the living God. And God uses them in a mighty way to reach out to the world around Him. You know, the Bible tells us that without Him we can do nothing. And it's only when the Holy Spirit came upon them in a mighty and a powerful way did they begin to live transformed lives and impact those around them. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't feel like you have a a powerful walk with God. We need more of the Spirit and less of us. And that's how we live a life that has an impact on the world around us and has intimacy with the Father. And so we see that when we come to Acts 16 that we've gone through a period of, of persecution, great persecution, and the church being scattered. But every time it was scattered, it grew. Every time they were persecuted, more and more people would come to know Christ. So in the midst of difficulty, the church continued to grow. We saw the, the Great Commission and the reason the church exists today. If you don't know why the church exists today, let me just tell you. To fulfill the Great Commission, which is to go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Not just converts, not just going out and sharing our faith on occasion, but literally discipling people, training them up in their walk with God. Acts 2.42 tells us what the church should look like. The four things that we should be continuing in, which is the Apostles' Doctrine, which is what we're doing right now, teaching God's Word. Fellowship, prayer, and the breaking of bread. That's the church. And today we make the mistake of allowing the church to become something greater than that. Well, we need to get back to the book of Acts. Be filled with the Spirit of the living God. Be reaching out to a lost and a dying world. When we got to chapter 15 a couple weeks ago, we saw the problems that not only come from persecution from the outside, but can also come from the struggles that come from within. Those who call themselves Christians or those who pretend to be Christians who come to bring division from within the body. And if you'll remember a couple weeks ago, the, the Judaizers showed up from Jerusalem to the church at Antioch and began to tell them that Jesus Christ wasn't enough. He said, you must be circumcised and keep the law or you can't go to heaven. And sadly, there's many today that say the same thing. The cross is not sufficient. It's Jesus plus something else. It's faith plus works. And as I've said the last couple of weeks, it's not faith plus works or faith or works. It's faith that works. Amen? It's having a relationship with the Lord and then the works are born out of it. The good fruit comes from a faithful relationship with the Lord. And we saw that they went up into Jerusalem and God gave them clear instruction and He worked through Paul and Barnabas and also through James. And they went back and they told all the the church, hey guys, you don't have to do anything else other than Christ. And anytime you say Jesus plus something, it's nothing short of blasphemy. Be careful. Be careful, guys. Again, should we live holy lives? Absolutely. Should we be walking in the center of God's will? Without a doubt. 
But when we make that a prerequisite for salvation, we're saying that when Jesus said it is finished, we're calling him a liar. We're saying that what he did on the cross was not enough. And so we got to the end of 15 and we saw the, that if, even though these guys are walking in the Spirit, we see that the Word of God does not hide the frailty of the saints. And we saw a division among Paul and Barnabas. You guys remember this from last week? Paul and Barnabas have been walking together. God's been using them mightily. They've gone to the churches all over in, in chapters 13 and 14. And now they have division. Why? Over a young man by the name of John Mark. Now, who was John Mark again? John Mark was Barnabas' nephew or his cousin. And he had gone with them on the first missionary journey. And when things got tough, what did John Mark do? Who remembers? He bailed. Remember that? And now the second missionary journey is about to start. And Barnabas says, well, I'm going to go get Barnabas and take Or, excuse me, I'm going to go get John Mark and take him with us. And Paul says, leave that sniffling little cousin of yours at home. We're not taking him again. We took that guy last time. And when things got difficult, he went home. So forget it. We don't want him. And Barnabas, there became a contention between the two of them. Now Barnabas' name means son of what? Encouragement. And what did Barnabas do? Barnabas goes and puts his arm around John Mark and says, you know what, I love you. And Paul looked at him and said, what can he do for the ministry? And Barnabas said, what can the ministry do for him? And they were divided. Now, there's debate. We talked about this last week as to who was right. In a sense, I believe they were both wrong in the sense that we don't see anybody praying here. Nobody's getting on their knees and seeking God's face. And the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, but we still see God's grace in that they both go out. And as they go out, God blesses both their ministries. We're disobedient and God still blesses it. He's still glorified. Now that's not, well, oh, Pastor Dave said I can be disobedient and God's going to bless it. That's not what I just said. Be careful. God's grace is not a permission to sin. Amen? And so we see that they go out, and now uh, we're getting, coming up to chapter 16, and when Paul goes out, he meets a young man. We saw this at the end of the chapter, uh, beginning of chapter 16 last week. And what was the name of the young man that he met? Timothy. And he saw something in Timothy that he didn't see in John Mark, and he said, you know what, I want you to come hang out with me. But remember what he did to Timothy. He circumcised him. And we talked about the fact that he had just been in Jerusalem, he'd just gone to all the churches and said, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. And yet, he circumcises Timothy. This makes no sense. But actually it does, because he's saying you don't have to be circumcised to be saved, but you do whatever it takes to be effective in ministering to others. If you invite a vegetarian over to your house, don't have prime rib, right? Don't do things that are going to stumble somebody. So we're going to pick up this morning in, in verse 6 of chapter 16. And we're going to continue on with Paul and Silas. And I'll remember that he took Silas with him when Barnabas left. And remember that Silas was one of the ones who had come up from Jerusalem. And when he was in Antioch, it said it, it was good to him. It seemed good to him to stay there in Antioch. And what I love about that is he stayed because it was desire of his heart. But God knew that him staying there was going to result in him going along with Paul. Sometimes God wants us to take the first step before He shows us the second one. And that's what's happened with silence. So let's take a look this morning. And I titled the message, God's Perfect Plan. If you take notes, I titled the message, God's Perfect Plan. And we're going to see that God's ways are always perfect, but they're not always the what we expect. You know, it says in, in Hebrews 11, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Trusting in the sovereignty of God, even when we don't see it or don't understand it. We do it anyway, trusting and knowing that God is in control. And it's more than just doing it because we know God wants us to do it, but having a peace about it as we do it. It says in Ephesians 4, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's peace that comes from, not comes from understanding, right? It's peace that comes even when you don't understand. It's peace when the world doesn't make sense. Some of you this morning in a room this size, no doubt are going through some difficulty in your life right now. I want you to know that God is in control, that his plans are perfect, that nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. So we're going to see God's perfect plan. First, we're going to see God's divine leading in the Macedonian call and the conversion of Lydia. And then we're going to see God, and this is the part people don't like this stuff, Still time to leave, I guess. But God's divine purpose in trials. 
Do you know that God allows us, not only allows us, but directs us through trials, that He might be glorified, that we might grow in our relationship with Him? Too often we want to escape from the trial when God wants to do something with us in the midst of it. And so we're going to see God's divine leading and God's divine purpose in trials, that they're all a part of God's plan. So let's begin in verse 6, looking at God's divine plan, first seeing the Macedonian call. So we're in Acts 16, verse 6. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach the word in Asia. Now, the area of Asia encompassed Ephesus and Smyrna and Philadelphia and Laodicea and Colossae and Sardis, and we don't know exactly how he forbid them. But I'll tell you what, it must have been really clear, because what kind of guy was Paul? Was Paul the kind of guy that you told him something once and he just went, okay, fine. Paul's the kind of guy, remember, they took him in and they abused him and they beat him. And then finally in Lystra, what did they do to him? They stoned him to death, and after he was risen from the dead, I believe he rose from the dead, what did he do? He went right back into Lystra. This is, well, how do you stop a guy like this? You don't, right? So here's Paul, who they stone him to death, and he gets right back up and goes right back into the city. You think, man, go Paul, right? This guy, no fear. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit forbids him, and he doesn't go into Asia. And I imagine that when this happened, Paul was probably disappointed, maybe even discouraged. But, but Lord, I, I, I'm supposed to go. You, you sent me out here to preach the gospel. Now you won't let me? And no doubt, how, how difficult would that be for Paul? But I, I think the difference is, when rocks are thrown at him, he doesn't back down. But when the Holy Spirit speaks to him, he listens. That's a sign of a mature believer. One who doesn't back down because of the circumstances, but is sensitive to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Again, we're not sure how he did it, if God gave him a vision, if, if God spoke a prophetic word to one of the guys traveling with him, or if it was simply just the Holy Spirit touching his heart. I want to encourage you with something. Do you know that need does not equate to calling? What does that mean? There are needs everywhere you go. Pastor Don, my pastor in San Jose, who sent me to Santa Cruz, God sent, used the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sent me, and God used my pastor to send me here. <laughs> but one of the things he said was, I used to say things like, well, Pastor Don, there's a need there. He said, Dave, you can get in your car and drive in any direction five miles and run by 500 needs. Need does not equate to a calling. It's a burden and direction from God. And though Paul saw the need in Asia, it was not God's plan that he go there, at least not yet. God had another plan. And so often we get discouraged and say, Lord, why not? You know, but it wasn't God's plan, and it wasn't God's time. God had another plan for them, and it was important that they walk in and be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the author of what? Confusion. If God's in control, we're never going to be confused about things. Lord, we may not understand fully, but Lord, we trust you. And that's where Paul needed to come to that place. And he was ministering to him, but again, he had things waiting for him. We don't know what forbid him. But we know the Holy Spirit spoke to him, and he responded in obedience. We should not be moved by threats of men or outward shouts or worldly persecution, but we must walk close to God and be sensitive to that still small voice. Hey, when you're seeking God's will, how many of you, be honest, and and almost every hand should be up, how many of you struggle sometimes knowing God's will for your life? Raise your hand. Do you know that's the number one question I get in counseling? That's the number one, bar none, question I get. But, Pastor Dave, how do I know what God wants me to do? Can I tell you, I've struggled with that myself. So if you're struggling knowing God's will, you're Paul, and you think you're supposed to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit's going, I don't want you to go. How do you know it's God? How do you know? Let me, four quick things. Make sure that your plan is in harmony with God's word. God will never direct you to do something contrary to his word, ever. I tell you, sometimes it's comical, but... Sometimes someone will come up to me and tell me they've heard from the Lord and it's something that's contrary to the Bible. So either the Bible's wrong or you're wrong. Let me think. It's you every time. Well, God told me it's okay for me to date that girl. You know, I know she's not saved, but have you seen her? I mean, she's fine, right? You know, and, and, you know, but, you know, I'll take her to church on Sunday, right? And we start legitimizing our sin. And we say, but I prayed about it. God gave me a peace. God didn't give you a peace. 
man, you, you're in heat, dude. Slow down, right? And the reality is that too often we attribute things to God and we say it's His will when it's ours. Make sure it lines up with God's Word, always. Number two, remember, the Bible says there is wisdom in the counsel of many, right? Go to people that are mature in their faith and say, hey, you know, I'm praying about this. Could you pray for me? Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. The same Holy Spirit lives in me, lives in you. And so if we're both listening, God's going to give us direction. Check your motives. Is this God's will or mine? Is this going to further the kingdom of God or make life more comfortable for me? Lord, show me your heart. Check your will. And then lastly, always pray for God's perfect will. It's amazing how God will open and close doors when we're seeking His face. Paul was no doubt, again, disappointed. But what did he do? He waited on the Lord, and he listened to that still small voice. You know what? I believe that, that God makes it this way when seeking His will because He wants to spend intimate time with us. He wants us to come before Him and seek His face. Could He not just hand me a manual for my life and say, here you go, Dave. There it is. There's your next 5,000 steps. Just follow that. But you know what? If I did, I'd start trusting in the steps instead of seeking after the Savior. And God wants us looking to Him and seeking Him, and crying out to Him. Seek the Lord. Remember, those of you who have been coming on Wednesday nights, remember when the Levites, they camped around the tabernacle. Their job was to move the stuff that, that, that uh, rebuilt the tabernacle. And so where did the glory of God dwell? Where was it? Above the tabernacle. So in the morning, when the Levites woke up, where did they look first? They looked up. Because when the glory moved, they had to tear the tabernacle down and move with it. And that's an example for us that we should wake up in the morning and the first thing we ought to do is be looking up. And God didn't want Paul just resting in his own desire, but he said, you don't seek after me and I'm going to speak to you using my still small voice. Verse 8, so passing by Mycia, they came down to Troas. So he didn't go into Asia. He obeyed the Lord and he went down to Troas. Troas was a beach city on the Mediterranean Sea. So Paul wasn't unlike a lot of you. He went and sat out by the beach and waited to hear from God, right? Some of you go down to the ocean and sit and wait to hear from the Lord or sit in the ocean. Some of you want big boards waiting to hear from the Lord, right? And so he goes down to the, to the sea and he's waiting upon the Lord. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So he's waiting upon the Lord and the Lord gives him a vision. And the vision is to come to Macedonia. Can I tell you honestly, God, I believe God still gives people visions. I've never had one. I've never had one. Now I've had other people that have had visions for me, and most of them weren't right. Because I went to those, uh, God's will, uh, God's word, uh, no I don't think so. And you know what, be careful because if we're going to be sharing visions you know, I want to hear, if someone that is, is grounded in God's word shares a vision with me, I'm more likely to listen. Because it says in Jeremiah that visions compared to the word of God is chaff. Because God's word is the ultimate authority and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so we see here that this vision is given to him, but no doubt, Lord, is this your will? And when did the vision come? When he was waiting upon the Lord and he was walking in obedience to him. And I believe God can still do that today. I want you to see something here. What did he show him in Macedonia? What did he see in the vision? A what? He didn't see a map. He saw a man. And you know, I like that. You know how I, re when, I, when people come to me and tell me they have a burden or a calling for something, the calling is for people. It's people. It's a burden for people. I remember when Pastor Don said, Dave, I want you to go to Santa Cruz. And I remember the first time I drove over here and I was looking for a, a place, and most of you know I did grow up here, but I hadn't lived here in 15 years. And I drove down on the mall, and as I was driving on the mall, I just began to weep uncontrollably. And my heart started breaking for the people. And that's how I, along with God's word and other confirmation, I said, Lord, I know this is your calling for me, because you've broken my heart for these people. And God showed him not a map of a city, but he showed him a man. And the man was pleading, come and share with us. And Paul saw it. And this is much like the world today. What are they, they're, they're crying out, give us the word, show us the truth. Remember that a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. And so God is going to send him to Macedonia. Macedonia is modern day Europe. 
okay? Greece, Philippi, Thessalonica. And so instead of sending them to Asia, east, he sends them west to Europe. And you might say, well, why? Well, we're going to see that this morning, that God had divine appointments waiting for him. And this man is crying out, and this is a picture of the need that there was in Macedonia to hear the truth of God's will. You want to know God's will? Study His Word, be sensitive to His Spirit. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by Word of God. And so we want to increase our faith, we spend time in His Word. Verse 10. Now after he'd seen the vision, he went camping for six months and meditated on it. Is that what it says? It says immediately... We sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, too often I hear people say to me, Pastor Dave, I know I'm called to do this, and as soon as I get all my debts in order, or as soon as my kids are all in school, or as, you know, as soon as I finish this or finish that, then I'm going to do what God's calling me to do. Show me in the Bible where God calls somebody and tells them, eight years from now, here's what I want you to do. He doesn't do that. When God calls... He's calling us now. Is there a need now? Amen? And so, so often we say, well, when I get my kids grow up, when I get my ducks in a row, when I get out of debt, when all these other things happen, then God can use me. He wants to use us right now. God didn't save us to be pew potatoes. Amen? He didn't save us to be the biggest, fattest sheep in town. He saved us to use us. The dead sea's dead because it has an inlet and no outlet. And God so desires to work through our hearts. And so praise God for Paul and his obedience. Because what did he do? He immediately went. I want you to see one other word here. It says, we sought to go to Macedonia. Who's writing this book? Luke. Who just joined this group? Luke. He said, we sought. So somewhere along the line, whether it was Troas or somewhere, again, part of God's divine appointment, Luke joins in on the trip. So the first thing that we see in God leading them in that direction is that Luke joined with them. So not only do we see the Macedonian call, but we're going to see several divine appointments. Let's look at the first one, verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. So Philippi, the key city in Macedonia, it was a city named for Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great. It was a Roman colony. Romans had rights there but didn't have to pay taxes, so many Romans migrated to live in Philippi. Later when in prison, Paul would write a letter to this church. It's called the book of what? Philippians right? And he had great love for the church in Philippi. But where does that church begin? It begins right here. That great love that he has for them later in prison, because of God's divine leading, he's going to establish this church in Philippi, and God's going to use him, not because of the greatness of Paul, but because of his obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now what this tells us is, where did they usually go first when they went to a new city? What was the first place they went to? To the synagogue. But guess what? There must be no Jews in the city, or very few, because if you had ten men who were heads of their household, you would have a synagogue. If you didn't have ten men, you couldn't have a synagogue. So instead of going to the synagogue that didn't exist, they went down to the river. Now according to, to history, there was a, an arch in Philippi that said that no religion or, or unrecognized religion could be practiced inside the city gates. And so these women go outside of the city gate and they meet at the river to pray. Now I imagine, it doesn't say it in the text, and this is some supposition on your pastor's part, but I believe that part of their prayer was probably, God, send us somebody to help us understand who you are. Can you imagine they're praying, and they want to know more? We're going to see in a moment that they had a love for God, but they didn't truly understand who He was. And as these women were gathering to pray, I, I would be shocked if that wasn't at least one of their prayers. Lord, we want to understand you. And so here's Paul thinking he's going to Asia, and God gives him a vision and shows him a man in Macedonia. Now it's interesting that he showed him a man, but he's ministering to women. Sometimes when you go, it's different than what you expect. Amen? Sometimes you think you're going to do something, and God's got another plan. And so he's going to minister to many, plenty of men who are there, but again, began by ministering to these women who gather together 
to pray. You know, I find it interesting that God, in the New Testament, women are used so mildly by the Lord, and you know that I don't think there's one time, and I could be, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe someone correct me after church, but I don't think that there's ever one female enemy of Jesus that directly speaks to him anywhere in the New Testament. Got a lot of guys going after him. But I think the women, again, most of the time, they're, you know, he's ministering to them and he's loving on them. And you see these women, they're gathered together and they're praying. And praise the Lord for these godly women. Verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So, Thyatira is hundreds of miles away. Do you know where it is? It's in Asia. Here's this woman sitting by the river who's come and is now living in this area, but she is a, someone who's selling this purple cloth. She was probably wealthy because this purple cloth was extremely expensive. It was a sign of royalty or nobility. And isn't it interesting that here's a woman from Asia and he feels called to go to Asia and God instead sends him to Macedonia and who's the first person he talks to? A woman from Asia. God's plans are perfect and this woman was crying out and wanting to know who God was and who she reminds me of a lot is she reminds me of Cornelius in that she worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob but she was not born again yet and didn't understand what true salvation was. She was worshiping and she was praying, but she needed somebody to tell her. And praise the Lord that her heart was open to the Lord through His Word. The word there for spoken, it says the thing spoken by Paul. This refers to a personal conversation. Paul didn't only get up in front of crowds. He sat down by the river by this lady, Lydia, and just shared with her one-on-one the love of God. You know what? I hear you praying and worshiping. Can I tell you about this God that you worship? Can I help you to understand better how much He loves you? Let me tell you about His Son who came to die for you. And we see how she receives His Word. And again, what is it that has opened her heart? It's the Word of God. Verse 15. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she's persuaded us. So here's this first divine appointment. And do you think Lydia's glad that God said you can't go to Asia? Absolutely. God loved Lydia enough to turn Paul's plans completely around if it had only been for her. Now we're going to see in a moment it was for more than just her. But look at, like the woman at the well. Remember the woman at the well, how her life was transformed immediately by Christ? How she ran back into the city and told everybody about Jesus? Well, watch this. The same thing happens here. She hears about him, and what does she do immediately? She gets baptized. Now remember, Baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. Baptism is letting the whole world know that I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. Now, you don't need to be baptized to be saved. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. But if you're here and you've never been baptized, let me encourage you to be baptized. Why? Because it's an obedience to the Lord. It's again, it's a public confession. Confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. And so we see here that she gets baptized and then she says, Paul, don't go. I want to hear more. That's the sign of a life that's been transformed. She's hungry for the Word. Come and stay at our house. Reminds me of when on the the road to Emmaus, where the two apostles were traveling after the crucifixion. Do you remember Jesus showed up and began to explain to them, saying from all the Old Testament, who He was? And it said that when He wanted to leave, that they grabbed hold of Him and said, You can't go. You must stay with us. Boy, that's a sign of somebody who's hungry for the Word. And this woman was hungry for the Word. Come and stay in our house. Here, a sign of true conversion. is hunger for the Word, fellowship. And look what it says there. It says, she and who else was baptized? Her whole household. So that means she went home and did what? She shared her faith. She'd been saved for moments, and she went home and said, you got to li- put everything down. Let me explain something to you. You know, this God we've been seeking, let me tell you about His Son, and He died on the cross for us, and we can be, you know, awesome. Too often we think, I've got to be saved for 25 years and have the Bible memorized, then I can start sharing my faith. Right? When can we start? Now. Right? You're a new creation in Christ, the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you, you can begin sharing your faith even now. 
So we see God's divine leading. Now we're going to see God's divine purpose in trials. Look at verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. Now it's interesting. Paul and Silas are going to have another divine appointment. But this one's going to be a little different. No sooner does God start working than the enemy jumps up and wants to stop it. And wants to interfere. God's doing great things, and so the enemy shows up. And who does he use? He uses this demon-possessed girl. Now it says there they went to prayer. They were going to the place to pray. Maybe heading back to the river. But they were going to a place where they were going to pray. And as they were traveling, this demon-possessed girl comes behind them and starts shouting at them. And what is she saying? This girl, bound by the devil, becomes a tool of distraction. Look at verse 17. It says, This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Is that true? Yeah. Now, why would a demon-possessed girl tell the truth? Who's speaking through her? A demon, or in, its, in this case, Satan, in a sense, right? One of his followers is speaking through her, but he's proclaiming truth. Why would Satan proclaim that what they were teaching was true? Let me tell you why I believe. If she begins to cry out and speak that what they are saying is true, and then she follows it up with lies, it's going to make the truth appear to be like a lie. You know, when, when the demons proclaimed Jesus to be God, what did he always do? He silenced them every single time. Why? Because God does not want to use the devil to proclaim his word. Amen? He doesn't want to, you know, that's not the form of advertising he wants to use, right? He doesn't want to use the enemy. And so when this demon-possessed girl begins speaking, look what Paul does in verse 18. And she did for many days. So Paul's being patient. He's waiting and he hears from the Lord. And what does he say? Paul, greatly annoyed, and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So he stops her from proclaiming the truth, but he stops her because he didn't want the gospel or the name of God to in any way, shape, or form be linked to Satan. You know, it's interesting. You know, sometimes people ask me, well, would you, would you go into a strip club to witness? No, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. What, what if they called me and said I could write an article in Playboy and talk about Jesus? Would I do that? Uh, no. The reality is, I don't want the name of Jesus linked to that garbage. And same is happening here. He said, look, I don't want this demonic woman who, who's filled with Satan, who's a fortune teller, proclaiming the gospel. I want to use my people to do that. And I want it done in a way that will honor him. And again, he had great patience, but ultimately he did what Jesus had done. He silenced it. But look what he does. He delivers her from the demon. Now you would think that the masters who have her would be excited. This poor girl, but now if, if you're demon-possessed, it's not pretty. I only know for sure that I've seen demon-possessed people, I know for sure, twice. And I may have seen them more often than that. Probably when I turn on MTV, there's a lot of that going on. But So, the reality is that I've seen it a couple times, and it's heavy duty. We had a woman come into our church in, La in Lancaster one time, and she was screaming in a man's voice at the back during church. And I'm telling you, it wasn't her. And we pray, you know, and, but the reality is that when you're demon-possessed, he wants to destroy this girl. And these masters who have this girl that is enslaved to them, you'd think they'd be excited that this demon was gone. But look at verse 19. How do they respond? When the masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the mar marketplace to the authorities. They saw this girl for one thing. She was a money-making opportunity. And they said, you know what? By you casting out the demon, she can't tell fortunes anymore. We're not going to make any money. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them into the authorities. Now, were Paul and Silas walking in obedience to God? What's the answer? Yes. They're doing exactly what God said, and look what kind of results it got them. 
Sometimes many people get saved and Lydia turns her life to the Lord and they invite you over to their house and they cook you a big meal and you get to share with everybody and it's great. And other times you share your faith and you walk in obedience and people grab you and drag you down to the authorities. And that's what's happening here. Again, trials. God's going to use it ultimately for His glory. Look at verses 20 and 21. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. They accuse them of spreading religion not recognized by the Roman government. You know what? If it ever comes to the point where they make it against the law to preach the gospel, then throw me in jail. You know, the reality is that there may come a time. You know, most of you know I just got back from India, and, and they're, pray for them, because each of the states is voting on making a non-conversion law, which means whatever religion you're born into, you must stay in that religion the rest of your life, and if you convert, or anybody tries to get you to convert, you can be thrown in prison. Well, over 90% of the nation is born Hindu. And it's the Hindus who want this non-conversion law. And it was interesting, I was in India and I'm at, I'm at Sunday morning service and these guys are praying about it. But it was interesting, I love what he said. He got up and said, it's not going to change the, our actions, guys. If they outlaw it, we're going to preach it anyway. We just may spend some time in jail. But the reality is that we shouldn't be wavering because of the laws that men have. And certainly Paul and Silas were not going to do that. They were sharing their faith anyway. It's amazing that the world will tolerate anything but the gospel. Anything goes. Live and let live. Do what you want, but don't tell me about Jesus. That bugs me. Be quiet. Paul and Silas, walking in obedience, delivered this demon-possessed girl. They shared a message of God's love, and and it's going to bring them to a place of being beaten. Look at verse 22. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded they be beaten with rods. And when they'd laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. What did they do? They delivered a demon-possessed girl from the devil, and they got beat with rods. We know in 2 Corinthians that this happened three times to Paul. They would take rods, put them in a bundle, and just start wailing on him. And his back was being ripped open. Now, I have to confess to you, I would hope that my faith would be strong enough to say, praise the Lord. But I think that often what we might be saying is, why, Lord? How many think you might be in that camp? But Lord, I, I was telling her about you. And how, this isn't right. Lord, I was sharing my faith at work, and now they're going to fire me. Why, Lord? I was being obedient to you. I was sharing the love of God, and now my friends won't talk to me, and people, this just doesn't seem right. And that can be our response. Why, Lord? But may we learn from the example of Paul and Silas, and may we see that God has an ultimate plan. And not only do they beat them, but they put them in the dungeon, in the inner prison, and they fasten their feet in stocks. Now, the stocks, what they would do is they would spread their legs as far apart as they could get them. So they would cramp up, and they were in ultimate excruciating pain, and they're chained up, and then there's inner dungeon, and no doubt you could very easily see how they might say, Lord, is this, the, is this what you called me to? Lord, I'm walking in obedience to you. Why are you letting this happen to me? But that's not how they respond. And may we learn from the way that they respond. It looked like their, their ministry was over. They've been thrown in the dungeon. This is it. But God had another plan. Look at verse 24, 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were murmuring and complaining against God. No, it doesn't say that. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, wait a minute. How radical is this? You share your faith. A girl's delivered. They drag you into the dungeon. They chain you up. They put your feet in stocks. You're in torturous pain, and you're singing praise songs. Reminds me of the story of Richard Wormbrandt, who's the founder of um, Voice of the Martyrs. He came and spoke at the church here many years ago. And he talked about being in an L-shaped um, cell for many years. I can't remember how many, but it was, a lot, it was like 10 or 12 years or something like that. And while he was in this cage, he could only stand. And it hurt his body, and his body was just... And even then, he couldn't stand anymore, and he had to sit. But he had chains, and there were other Christians... And what they started doing was banging their chains together to worship songs. 
They were pray, playing their chains and worshiping the Lord. And that's what's happening here. Maybe that Paul and Barnabas' actions even ministered to them, that that's what they should do. And so what do they do? They begin to sing. But look at what it says here. They were praising and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Here's another divine appointment. It's not only the, the, you know, the rich woman on the road. It's not only the demon-possessed girl that's following them, but it's the people in prison, and they realize this is a divine appointment. Lord, you put me here for a reason. Would they have been able to witness to these prisoners any other way? No. But God put them in there, and they began singing praise songs to the Lord instead of complaining or calling God to judge their enemies. Smoke these guys, Lord. They were praying, and they were singing. Remember that trials will always bring opportunities for the gospel. Real joy is not proven in prosperity. Everyone's happy then. But in times of trial and adversity, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we have an eternal perspective, we can continue to exhibit joy. When you're in a trial, remember it's an opportunity for the gospel. And never had sounds come like this from the dungeon before. You think it sounds like this had ever come out of this dungeon? No way. But it did because these guys were faithful and obedient in the midst of difficulty. Verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. Man, I love this. Verse 26. So there it says, they pray, they're, they're praising God, and then what happens? An earthquake. And then the chains fall off. And the doors were open. You know what this reminds me of? When Jesus hung on the cross, what happened? There was a what? An earthquake. And what happened to the veil? was torn in two and you and I were freed from the bondage of sin and here they are worshiping the Lord and the earthquake comes and the door falls open and their chains fall off but watch this still an opportunity for the gospel verse 27 and the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep and seeing the prison door open supposing the prisoners had fled drew his sword and was about to kill himself but Paul called with a loud voice and said do yourself no harm for we are all here. Paul's focus never left the ministry, ever. This guy, the judgment was if a prisoner got away and you were keeping them, you got whatever their penalty was. So no doubt in this dungeon, there were those that were, gonna, that were sentenced to death. So this guy said, I'm not going to be shamed and hung, so I'm just going to kill myself now. I don't want to face that grief, so I'm, I'm going to kill myself right now. Now it's interesting to me that the doors were open, the chains were off, but where was Paul? He was still in prison. You know what's really interesting to me? So were all the other prisoners. Man, this must have been some worship, right? I mean, these guys must have been, this must have been an awesome concert that the chains came off and nobody left. No doubt Paul is ministering truth to them and he's loving on them. And then the jailer wakes up and he says, don't leave, we're still here. Now again, if he was bitter about where he was, what would he have done when the chains came off? He probably would have gone out and got the sleeping guy's sword and jammed him through with it, right? Oh yeah, put me in prison for, oh there you go, what do you think of that, right? And that's the way we respond in the flesh. We want vengeance. But when led by the Spirit, what does he do? He's still ministering, even to those who the world would consider to be his enemy. And watch what happens. Look at what love does. Man, I love this. I love when, when we just love people in spite of the fact of the way they treat us. Verse 29, Then he called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Isn't this awesome? What brought this man to desiring salvation? The way that these guys worshipped the Lord, he heard them. Then he saw the power of God and then he said, Man, I need that. Whatever you've got, I need it. And the fact that you didn't leave. And so again, they worship, and what does it do? It brings an opportunity for the gospel. What must I do to be saved? Verse 31. So he said to them, there's 613 commandments as a Jew that you must keep. Is that what he says? No. That's what the Judaizer said. All right, get out the knife. Circumcision. Is that what he said? No. He says, I love it. Here's what he says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? 
Not Jesus plus 57 good works, and you've got to join my church and be baptized in our baptismal, and you've got to give money to this, and you've got to keep these 12 steps, and then you've got to do all that, and then you can maybe be saved if you're one of the 144,000. Right? There are churches out there teaching stuff like that. And he just looks and says, believe in Jesus. Because Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Faith in Christ alone. Each sinner must trust personally in Him. And He comes with fear and trembling. The Bible says the fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. He starts with fear and trembling. And you know what? We should come before God before we know Him with fear and trembling, with awe and reverence. Verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to Him and all who were in the house. Man, I love this. So, He leads him to the Lord and then he gives him the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he delivered the word of God to the jailer and to his whole house because each of them needed to respond on an individual basis. Verse 33. And he took them that same hour of night and washed their stripes. Immediately he and all his family were baptized. Did this guy get saved? He got saved real good, as my dad would say, right? He got saved and what did he do? He got baptized and then after being baptized, what does he do? He takes these guys who may have even helped in their beating, who he may have helped put in their stocks and be chained up, and now what's he doing? He's washing their wounds. Transformed life. When we come to know Jesus Christ, everything ought to change. Did this jailer change? Totally. He went from a man who, who dished out beatings to a man healing wounds. And that's what the church ought to be. I've said it before. It's a hospital, not a police station. You don't come here to get beat on. You come here to get healed and loved on and encouraged and strengthened in your walk with the Lord. Amen? Because He loves you guys so much that He'd rather die than live without you. And so we see here that He comes and He begins healing their wounds. Verse 34, Now when He had brought them into the house, He set food before them, and He rejoiced, having believed in God with all His household. So His whole house got saved. And isn't it interesting that when you deliver grace, what was this man doing? He was rejoicing. He went from a man who was afraid of dying, who was about to kill himself, and literally, moments later, his whole family's gotten saved, he's gotten baptized, he's invited other believers into his house, they're having a huge feast. That's what Jesus Christ can do in someone's life. Amen? Take him from a place of suicide and despair to a place of incredible joy that can only come from him. What an awesome God we serve. And so we see here this divine appointment. These guys rejoicing in their chains led the jailer to being released from his. Amen? Let me say that one more time. Their rejoicing in their chains led to the jailer being released from his. Because they worshipped in their trials, the, people, the jailer saw that their God was real. Because they worshipped the Lord and they didn't run out when the chains went off and they had hearts for ministry, they were able to reach out to this guy. You know what? People are watching us when we go through trials, you guys. It's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship to heaven, amen? It's easy when everything's good to be loving our Savior. But how about when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? How about when you're going through difficulty? Last five verses. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the offer saying, Let these men go. Well, guess what? No doubt they heard about an earthquake, doors falling open, chains coming off, and said, you know what? Maybe we ought to just let these guys go. Maybe we ought to just, you know, uh, they delivered a demon-possessed girl. Let's just get these guys out of town. Because if that all happened at the prison, I don't think we want to mess with them. And so they said, let's let these guys go. Verse 36. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. Now, was Paul being stubborn? I don't think so. Here's what I believe. I believe that Paul had been beaten publicly for presenting the gospel. And he didn't want people to walk around in fear of sharing their faith. And so he said, you know what? You beat me publicly, I want you to release me publicly. I want this to be encouragement to those who want to serve the Lord. 
I want, you to, I want them all to know. I don't want them all to walk around in fear and remember what happened to us. I want them to remember how we were released from prison. I want them to remember how God brought us out and how God used it to deliver the jailer and how people have come to know God through our trials. You know, when we look back on our trials, may we not say, woe is me, but may we say, great is God and look what he did in the midst of it. Amen? May we not point back to our sickness and say, oh man, I was a drag and I was throwing, I was Say, you know what? In the midst of that, God did great things. Last verse. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. I love it. They, they encouraged them to leave the city and where did they go? They went to Lydia's house. The new church at Philippi. And they encouraged the brethren. And they and instructed them in the ways of the Lord. Encouraged them. They didn't complain. They didn't come in and say, what a drag serving God is. Let me tell you what happened to us, man. They threw us in these things and stretched our legs out. This is wrong. And sometimes as Christians, we pour that stuff on God. You know, we make Him sound like, you know, man, woe is me, and you should be praying for me. I'm going through it. Instead of saying, you know what, Lord? I'm in the storm, but you're with me. And you're a great and an awesome God. And you know, I want to say this too. Daniel was in the lion's den, and what did he have? Great peace, right? And... King Darius was up in the temple, and what was King Darius doing? He was up all night, he was thrashing his house, and he couldn't sleep. Why? Because it's better to be in the lion's den with Jesus than to be in the palace without him. And that's what's happening here. These guys were in prison, but they were the freest men in all of Macedonia because they had Jesus Christ. And when we go through trials, know that God is in control and He does it for a reason. And say, Lord, show me what you want to use this for. Lord, let my life be a light to a lost and a dying world. Lord, use this for your glory. Help me not to murmur and complain, but to glorify you. Is God still God when things are tough? Is He still in control? Does He love you just as much? Are you going to heaven? Shouldn't we rejoice no matter what? Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. So we see these divine appointments. We see God's divine leaning away from the original course. But we see that God is in control, that his plans are perfect. We see the gospel going to a wealthy woman, a possessed slave girl, and a Philippian jailer. But God, by his grace, bought these divine appointments. Many were saved. God was glorified. And Paul and and, and, uh, Silas are rejoicing. May that be our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your leading. We thank you that your Holy Spirit dwells within us. We thank you that we don't have to go through things alone. Father, we thank you for the examples of Paul and Silas. And Lord, I pray for people who are here this morning who may be going through difficulty, that Lord, they they can take that difficulty and use it as an opportunity for the gospel. Lord, may we bang our chains together and worship you. Lord, it is better to be in the lion's den with you or to be in the fire with you than to be in the palace without you. Lord, it's such a privilege Lord, to know you and to serve you and to walk with you. Father, I just pray for, again, for each of us, Lord, just anoint us with your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to see things with eternal eyes, not to be overwhelmed by the temporary difficulties of life, but to rejoice in the hope that we have and the future that we have and the God that we serve. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.